This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit PlanetBroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. LA! Steel Wars is returning to the Scum and Villainy Cantina on Saturday afternoon, March 10th for a special podcast panel commemorating the finale of Star Wars Rebels, the weekend of its conclusion. Join a special expert panel to break down the pros, the cons, the ins and outs of the Ghost Crew and their adventures and react to what will be a controversial finale. And Australia Steel Wars returns to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival for three shows over the Easter long weekend. Friday the 30th of March, Saturday the 31st of March, and Monday the 2nd of April, 2pm. Tickets for all these shows are available at SteelWars.com. Just a heads up that the first 50 minutes or so of this conversation is available for you to watch at youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I'm comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And each week we find someone of interest to talk about it with. And this week on the show, we are in his office. Welcoming back one of our favorite returning guests from Entertainment Weekly, it's Anthony Bresnikan, the Brez. It's good to be here. We're in the Brez cave. Good to be here. I'm in my office. So you're, it's good to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's, that's more what I like. Always hanging out. It's more what I like. So what we're going to talk about is Anthony, who we very much love, his Entertainment Weekly cover stories. He's got a new one up with Solo. A Star Wars story. It is a Star Wars story. It is a Star Wars story. What did you think about the solo name? Um, it's a little flat, but I think uh, I understand why they did it. I mm. think if you name it something like, say, Castle Run or something specific to the story, uh, it doesn't project the name solo to people. And that's really what you're selling to the casual fans. Yeah. So I can understand why they just went with the sort of blunt trauma of Solo. <laughs> the blunt trauma. We're just going to beat you over the head with the idea that this is Solo. I, th- I think it's the best name, but it's the name that should have been announced two years ago. Yeah, you, it's not the kind of name that you want there to be uh, a lot of drama around. Yeah, it's just... Because it's not... Because it's uh, not like... It reveals, and it, it's it's like the most obvious name. Well, even with Rogue One, I feel like from the get-go, it was called Rogue One. So there was never any question about the name. Yeah, because well, they had the, the, the crew shirts that had Solo on it. And I did some investigating with people on set, and I'm like, did you guys think that the film was called Solo? And they're like, oh, no, nah, we, were, we were shocked. Like, that that was- yeah, that was just like our... They thought that was a placeholder name. Yeah, 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 yeah. What would you call it, though, given what we know about the story now? If you were looking for, like, a more specific name. Okay. Well, if it was if it was my money, 
that I got money like from the success, I'd probably go with solo because I think it just says it's it's to the point. Yeah, you d- there's no more explanation. Uh, I do like the Indiana Jones concept of Han Solo and the oh yeah, that would be cool. The 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 Sevak game of yeah. destiny Han or something. Solo in the Kessel Run or Han Solo and crystal skull yeah no not the crystal skull um so many ants would that change your your impression of the crystal skull if the crystal skull originated in the star wars galaxy and that's all the time we've got for today (laughs) on the podcast but um you can tell i've spent a lot of time in the star wars universe lately because i'm a little punchy (laughs) (laughs) you're under attack anthony bresnikan are people coming at you? Nah. Nah, nah? You can't go after the, the Bresnigan. Let's talk about this story. I What I want to know is this came out last week. The trailers came out on um, Sunday and Monday. Did you have advanced screening of the trailer, Anthony? I don't know about that, if I can answer that question. Okay, that's fine. Uh, oh, you, you've started with the one thing that I really, I'm just, I'm, I don't know if I can answer that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you work out what that means. Um, so, I, I guess I've just tipped my hand, because if the answer was no, I would just say no. Yeah. It's like, it's like is Frank Oz in uh, The Last Jedi? Well, define it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw, I saw uh, stuff a little bit early. Okay. No, I'm just interested in. Not very much. I'm uh, interested much in early. how quickly you could, you know, you know, because obviously that's a good reference material for for the story. Almost all of the reporting, no, all of the reporting was done before I saw. Those pieces that everybody saw mm-hmm. at the Super Bowl and the day before. So, um, the mm, no, actually, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I had one interview after after the fact, and uh, and that's where I picked up a couple of little extra details. Okay, so uh, but it was um, most of it was done beforehand, and then. Uh, I was grateful for that because normally they would not show that sort of stuff to me, but I think they were respectful of the fact that the magazine was coming out right after the trailers and it had to be prepared in advance of the trailers. Mm. So uh, they gave me a little peek and then I was able to work in some of the things, some of the details that were in the trailer, like the conveyx. And what is your Reddit username again? I'm not on Reddit. <laughs> Oh, I think it's I think it's like Anthony Bresnikan. I did like a I did like a Reddit Q and A, but I, I've only logged into Reddit once. Um, it's too scary to do that, and I don't remember what my password is, so I don't know that I'll ever be back. So, doing all the interviews, and you know, you got to speak to cast and crew, and so you've got and like you've got what they're telling you about the film. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. you know. To, if you want to be extra cynical, it's the it's the corporate pitch. It's like this is what we're going with. It's it's a you know it's a swashbuckling cowboy adventure heist movie, and you know quite often when you hear all these interviews that you know it there is 
it seems like there are talking points. Do you know what I mean? When you, which is fine, but when you watch the trailer, the teaser in the trailer, did you feel like what was portrayed in that connected with their message or it was a little bit yeah. different? No, it did. I mean, uh, What's weird is a lot of times, uh, since I'm doing the uh, the first story about these movies, it, the the people involved haven't talked about it yet, and they're doing their first interview about it. Uh, and so, it's sort of like, um, you know how like a, a a person who can't see a blind person will feel another person's face to get a sense of what they look like. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I feel like I'm doing. Like, I haven't seen the movie. In this case, the movie's not finished. Um, but I'm trying to f- figure out what it looks like by talking to you. And that's... I'm just sort of feeling around in the dark. And so sometimes I'll hit on a spoiler. Like, sometimes I'm like, ooh, don't... They're like, don't touch me there. Like, <laughs> reach a little too low, you know? Uh, but uh, no offense is meant. I'm just trying to f- feel my way, you know? And uh, and so <laughs> that's the best metaphor I can come up with. Spo- accidentally slapping... Yeah. Spoiler, <laughs> your finger's up my nostril. <laughs> yes. Um so uh, so I will say, like, well, who are these characters that we see with these masks? They look like Mad Max tribe mm-hmm. uh, on the conveyics, and they'll say, oh, I can't get into that. Um, okay, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so- other times I'll say, what was what is this double-sided train? Oh, that's the conveyics that's traveling through the mountains, and they'll explain a little what that is. So sometimes they can answer and sometimes they can't, but really it's me trying to figure out what there is to say about this movie. And I never feel like I have not felt like anybody's gotten on and read like a statement. Like this was, I I'm prepared to tell you it's the story of this and that. Like I never feel like anybody's reading jacket copy. to me. Yeah. I don't mean like that, but do you know what I mean? When you've got the force awakens, it's like real sets, practical effects. Like, do you know what I mean? Everyone, sure. yeah. And then in Rogue One, it was like, "Oh, this isn't this isn't your daddy's Star Wars film. This is gritty. This is war." And then the Last Jedi was like, "This is unexpected." Like, do you know what I mean? There is a whether it's oh yeah, they did push that a lot. Yeah, they, they were right about that. So you know, I okay the they're very right. Please talking to your microphone at all times, Anthony. All right, <laughs> forget we're such good friends here um, on the green couch. I thought out of all the images that you were provided and you printed, the best one or the one that was the most enticing to me was if you've flipped that there was um, it's this one of of them just Chewy and Han laughing it up fuzzball. They're just it looks like they're happily avoiding something in space it's a tight situation like that to me just says I'm guessing he, this is where he has won the falcon and he, they're like they can't believe they're getting away with it you think i don't know i don't know it seems like there's something in front of them that i don't know i i just i feel like they're launching this thing into hyperspace for the first time yeah but it's like like what makes a good sort of star wars promotional image is it does spark the imagination. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you've come, you've got your little backstory about what it means. I've got my backstory. Um, what did you make of the posters? I thought they were perfect. Yeah, they were cool. Have you seen the combined one? Mm-mm. So they've got the like the official solo poster where it's it's solo and all those images are in the letters with the Millennium Falcon yeah. and stuff. I um, I don't know. It's sort of 
I, I found that to be like pretty A1 marketing where it's like you're, you're, like you're selling it in the correct way. Yeah. Now, you're the first person to do this. Uh, I also wrote this story. Wakanda. I wrote the two cover pieces. Hey, mate, we've all got stuff going on. All, all right? right. All right. This is not my only <laughs> podcast for the day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, you're the first person to do, you know, to report, to have access to the cast and crew to do this um, solo story. And it's the film with the juiciest behind the scenes story about it. How, how do you, how do you, how do you approach? Like, do you know what I mean? You, you, you listen to ship or you read a ship, you know, a fair bit of them want to know the dirt. Yeah. But then you're working with a company that wants to go, Hey, there's a new movie coming out. You should yeah. go see it. How do you, how do you balance up like the, we're promoting this movie and then, but people want to know sort of maybe the, the darker side of the film. I think what you want to ask is, was I afraid to talk to them about the shakeup? I would never accuse you of being afraid, yeah. Anthony. No, it's a good question because uh, I think uh, this movie had massive upheaval on it. And you absolutely have to talk about that without question. Uh, the only question is, where do you place that in the story? And I had no problem talking to Kathy and Ron or anyone about the about the shakeup of directors. Um, that's... That's a fact, you know, and it's one that if they're smart, they'll want to contend with rather than let it pretend like it doesn't exist. Uh, so I approached it the same way I did on Rogue One, which was uh, at the time that the upheaval happened, I wrote the hell out of it. I did everything I could to contact people I knew, sources, official sources, the representatives of the movie, and get their perspective on what went down. And so... In the case of Solo, uh, when I was talking to my editor, I'm like, okay, so where do we, how much do, of this story is about the director shakeup? And we both agreed it, it's an important part of the story and people, it's still lingering in people's minds. So it's very important to address it. But um, did we feel like there were any unexplored areas of that drama? Because I wrote a lot about it over the summer and I did a really big piece about Ron Howard taking over the movie and the Rashomon like perspective on why those guys, Chris Miller and Phil Lord and Lucasfilm, Kathy Kennedy and, and, uh, and, and Lawrence Kasdan, uh, why they fell out with each other. And the answer now is the same answer that I had in July, which was they were slow on production they weren't making as many shots as they needed to each day. There was a lot of improvisation and deviating from the script uh, that the studio didn't like or didn't want. The guys felt that they were not given the liberty to make the film that they wanted to make, and they weren't given the trust that they knew how to do that. And so both sides split apart. That's the same story as in July. Yeah, but there's something about getting the people actually to talk about it. And at the same time, like I, sure. I think for people that follow, you know, like how these stories roll out and, and, and the lead up to these films, we're just interested in how much of it's going to be 
about that. Like it's sort of so what I ended regardless up doing, of new material, it's like how much is this going to be talked about? Yeah, but, in in the like in the promotion of the but film. In this story, I have I only have so much space, right? Is I have we have a big spread, and then I have essentially like four pages with a couple of sidebars to tell you all the new stuff that I've learned about Solo. So it's in there, the, all the business about the shakeup. But I saved a lot of that for, and when we do online stories, like, uh, so what happens is I feel like the print version of the mag of the story is almost like the table of contents for all of the stuff I'm going to write the week this magazine comes out, because there are tons of topics within that story that get expanded on mm -hmm. and broadened online. And then there's a rollout of, I think... 14 stories that I did about Solo last week. Well, you were second guessing because I like one of my favorite things about how you do this, these articles, like there's that and then you have all these yeah. like splinter articles. But um, before we started recording, you were second guessing just like, is there too many of these stories? Yeah. Like, I mean, I like, I like, I wonder, is it overkill? I keep milking it, Anthony. But, uh, but people like Star Wars and I'm happy to write them. So what's interesting is the story that I would have guessed would have been the least interesting to people was actually one of the most popular. And that was the last one I did. Partly I thought it would be the least interesting because it was the final one uh, on Friday that we did. Like that was the 12th story. Uh, and we have a couple more rolling out this week too. But um, that was the one about Ron Howard taking over the franchise. And the, the question that I felt was still unanswered about the shakeup was not why uh, Miller and Lord fell out with Lucasfilm, but why Ron Howard felt like he needed this hassle of writing this ship. Because he could do other things. I'm sure there's a film that Ron Howard could direct that doesn't have this drama associated with it and doesn't have to incorporate, you know a percentage of the, the vision of these other filmmakers. So why did he want to do it? And so I, uh, he answered that, you know, w what was interesting to him about it, but also he was, I felt very honest about the fact that he was friends with people who worked on the movie, Ali Shearmer, the producer who, who just uh, passed away uh, from cancer in, in January. And uh, he was friends with Kathy Kennedy. He, he knew obviously George Lucas going back to American graffiti. And so he felt like I don't have a film right now. I could do this. They need somebody to come in and straighten things out. Uh, it sounds like fun to me to take on this character. I love this character. So he did it. And um, within that, he talked about some of the problems he had with that of stepping in on another director he likes Phil Lord and Chris Miller so he doesn't want to you know insult which them. one does he like more I don't know <laughs> <laughs> he likes Phil Miller best Phil Miller you Chris need, Lord is yeah. not the one yeah you yeah. need to speak to me before these interviews because I've got I've got the real questions so um but but within that you know he also I was curious about his relationship with George, because obviously they know each other going back to America graffiti. And you'd hear these stories about how Ron Howard came in to consult on, on the prequels. George would screen them for a very limited number of people. And they worked together on Willow. They worked together on Willow. And, um, so he's known him his whole life. So, and he ended up telling me this great story about working on American graffiti and like hanging out late at night. And George was really tired and burned out. He's like, what are you going to do next? I'm thinking about going to film school going to USC where you went to school and George was like yeah I think I'm going to make this like 
kind of Flash Gordon movie, but like with really cool special effects, like 2001, but not like 2001. Fast. That was the way he told that story was was really fun, and I could hear George telling it, and then the fact that George was there on his first day on set, and then helped direct the scene, made suggestions for a scene. I was like, okay, this is all interesting to me. And I thought, okay, now how do I package this? Do I take the history of Ron Howard and American Graffiti and Star Wars, hearing this story long ago, and now he is here he is 45 years later, actually making a Star Wars film with George on set? That could be its own piece. But I felt like that was such a part of why he agreed to do this movie in the first place that I had to merge it with the drama of the director's parting ways. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, I got... So, I also had Kathy Kennedy interviewed as a part of this story so I talked to her about the shakeup, and she was I thought pretty honest in saying I really don't want to reopen the wound but here's what happened in she didn't get into specifics on this day this happened here's the footage we saw that we didn't like but she confirmed a lot of what I had reported already which was the bit about you can improvise but you have to keep on a schedule you can't spend the whole day working on particular scene to the expense of all this other Mm. stuff because these are expensive movies nobody's doubting that uh but also they get more expensive if you have a lot of crews standing around not not moving as quickly as they can so uh you know and but she also didn't want to alienate these guys or attack them publicly any further it just didn't work out it's sort of like a breakup how much do you talk about your breakup publicly uh so i put all that together in one story and it was unusually structured because I'm jumping around in time. So I had these sort of little chapter breaks where we were going back to 1972. Then we're now we're in the present. We're in winter of 2018. Then we're in the summer. Well, but now we're getting more used to flashbacks in Star Wars. So we're getting flashbacks in Star Wars. <laughs> uh, but that story, to my surprise, was the most popular story uh, of the batch. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, did you like that one? I uh, just, I'm interested. Before you started talking to Ron Howard. Did you know anything about George Lucas on the set? No. So when he started mentioning that, were you just like, oh yeah, this is some yeah, good gear. I thought that was cool. But then I found out that, that George actually like contributed to the scene. Like maybe you should have Han do this. Like he started directing. That's the bit that's like, that's um, the juice. Yeah. But I thought when he, I heard that from Kathy Kennedy, that what Ron didn't offer that up. Instead, I was like, tell me about George being on set for this. And she was like, oh, yeah. He actually was there just to drop by and, like, welcome Ron and make him feel comfortable, say hi to everybody on set, and then leave. And he ended up staying for five hours. What What do you know? Like, just that. Like, like it's in London. Mm-hmm. Like, is he in London already? Is he? Yeah. Like- uh, no, I think he, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, I'm sure he was doing some other stuff while he was there. But uh, my guess is... Uh, he was there just to, for the first day, a little morale boost. That's yeah. my guess. I don't, I don't know specifically whether he was brought in for that, but I would guess uh, you've had this upheaval on a movie. Uh, you've taken a little break. You're bringing in a new director. Let's bring in George on that day. He knows the director. He can talk to the cast and crew, and, and, uh, and it'll just be a nice little way to mark this, the take two of this movie. Yeah, that's um. That's just my guess. I, nobody said that. Yeah, I just I get. Why was George there? <laughs> well, George Lucas's life is so. I think he visits all the movies, though. Yeah, I know he went to Rogue One. I've I've never heard of him on the Last Jedi. I, I don't know. Didn't even turn up to the uh, premiere. 
Is it the Black Panther one, though? So Everybody was in that one. He just knew how lit it was. <laughs> He's like, I love things that are lit. I have to go. I feel like I saw Frankie Valli at the Black Panther premiere. I'm like, is every celebrity at the premiere? <laughs> um, so what is your gist of what he actually did on the set? George? I, yeah, because I think it was such a popular article because, you know, people, regardless of their feelings with disagreements have had with him with where they've t- you know where he's taken the film they still like he's still you know the granddaddy of it all and yeah. um you know the maker and to hear him on set and throwing in a little tip there's something weird i don't know kind of i don't know almost like the fantasy of star wars and how it works is like he was back he was helping out like it's yeah. like for fans it's quite um, I know, charming. I would say, and not to speak for him, because he and I've never, I haven't interviewed him since he walked from the company, sold the company. Um, but having interviewed him many times before this, he cares a lot about Star Wars. Like it's really fun for him. These characters mean a lot to him, and he enjoys it. And imagine being J.K. Rowling and. Somebody says, mm, we don't need you. Oh, thank you for selling Harry Potter to us, but now we're going to make our own stories and they're, they're not going to involve you. That'd be a very hard thing to live with, I think. And uh, I think it's important for Star Wars to expand beyond George Lucas at this point, but I think it's nice that there is still a place for him there. And I think there should be. I don't think you have to listen to every plot point. Like I know he has a different idea of what the new trilogy should have been the new saga. Um, I like the one we have, so I'm okay with that. But I do think, listen to him. And he did consult on The Last Jedi, mainly about Jedi-related matters. Mm. Uh, And I think this whole thing we see Luke talking about, about how the Jedi really were not as great as everybody thinks, a lot of that comes from George Lucas. Because that was the whole message of the the prequels, which is these guys are too rigid in their beliefs, and they are... um, they're, they're, they think that there's an instruction manual for following the force and there's not, and it's not theirs to own. Yeah. I don't think anyone's done more work to, I don't know, kind of discredit the Jedi than George Lucas. Like, cause when we were, you know, when you were like in the nineties and thinking about the prequels and there's going to be Jedi, like no one imagined that they were going to be marred in all this, all these rules and weirdness. We just thought that'd be like- Woo! We're igniting lightsabers and saving everyone. Yeah, that they're perfect. And he. the reason I think The Last Jedi works so well is it does follow that tradition of these... When you start thinking of yourself as a hero, that's when you need to start wondering if you're the villain. You know? If you start thinking, I can do no wrong, maybe you're doing wrong in that very moment. And that's an interesting perspective. So the fact that George is there, and I don't know what he directed. They, they didn't want to give that away. I mean, he didn't really direct. Some, then I saw people picking up that story, like, George Lucas directed Solo. And it's like, no, he was there. And I think he gradually, over the course of the day, like, you know, I think he was there to say hi to Ron and, you know, wave to the people and meet and greet some cast and crew. And then it was like, he was having fun. So he's, hey, yeah, I'll watch you shoot a little bit. Oh, yeah. You mind if I sit? Yeah. Oh, this is like kind of comfy, this yeah. director's chair. Hey, what if we had him say this? And I think it just <laughs> gradually. Like, he just tried it on a little bit, you know? Did you get that... Um, and the Ron was happy to, you know, go along with that. 
So you got that bit of info from Kathy. Did you get to speak to any of the other cast and crew about George Lucas? No, I didn't know that after. Um, I didn't. I talked to the actors before. Ah, okay. That bit so, and there's not really much going back. Partly because there's no time, because a lot of this was recorded very quickly. So, podcasts live and breathe from word of mouth from listeners just like you. I know you're super busy, but if you can take a couple of seconds to retweet the episode announcement or share it on Facebook, it would really help me out. And if it gets one more listener, well then I cannot thank you enough. And it probably will. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Did you get the feeling that, you know, obviously this film has had, you know, everything it's had, that, like, Kathy was having as much fun talking about it as she has with the other films? Uh, not the shake-up part. I mean, I don't think that was... I could tell that wasn't, like, her yeah. favorite topic. Mm. Um, but she talked about it. Yeah. To her credit, she could say, I'd rather not talk about that. And, like, we could move on. Can't force somebody to reveal information. Um, not in this universe. Not in this universe. Like you, if you have that droid... <laughs> the ball, the torture droid. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that we need a spin-off about that thing, <laughs> right? Nah. Does it, does it really want to torture, or would it love to do something else? He maybe loves play, to torture. Maybe play a musical instrument. He loves to torture. He loves it. He <laughs> loves to be in Max Rebo's band, but nope. All at once, the only sound it's allowed to make is the screaming of rebels. He just loves to poke and prod and and get the truth. Yeah, but it doesn't even ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> so. Could you have picked a better director to step into this image-wise than Ron Howard? I thought he said not much in a very classy way. Yeah, what he didn't want to do was get into the specifics of what they shot versus what he shot. Um, he didn't want to talk about who shot first. Excellent, Anthony. Excellent. You've been sitting on that one? How did that not make no, the that cover? Just, that just came here. Uh <laughs> Which I understand because you, I noticed this a lot with collaborations. Is like I interviewed Stephen King and his son Owen King. They worked on a book called Sleeping Beauties together, and they're quick to like give each other credit. Like you came up with this thing or you came up with that, but then they don't really they don't want to claim it for themselves. They don't want to say here's the part I wrote, here's the part he wrote, because they don't want people to see those seams when they read it. And the same is true of movies is nobody wants to talk about um, the Coen brothers never say, well, Joel did this part and then I had this part. Right. Mm. They don't want you to they don't want you to parse the film that way. What about this with your strategy and reporting? So Ron Howard, the person that you're interviewing is sort of like, I don't want to go into who filmed what. And I, I, I kind of think that's going to be a sport for Star Wars fans. People are going to be wanting to like, is this the original card or is this not? But Star Wars fans were like the analyze things? Is yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm, I never thought about that. I'm more interested in what he reshot than what he used. Because if you think about it, if he used it, that meant he agreed with it. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So there is, in the Venn diagram, that overlaps. I'm curious, what did they shoot that he was like, nope, we're doing this again. That's much more revealing. Yeah. We can't really know mm. unless they put it out. Here's what the guy shot. Here's what Ron shot. And then we see they shot it and it's 
whatever tonally different from the way he shot it. That's what's revealing. So what they, what he uses is not as revealing as uh, what he leaves out. I don't want to put on my tinfoil Star Wars fan hat, but when you went to do the interview with Alden, his, his voice was shot and you had to do it via email. Well, they said he was sick with the flu. Okay. Now, I, that's, just, that's just my... I, I, I'm just like, uh, maybe they want him to think about the answers a little bit more than a one-to-one deal. That's a concern of mine, too. I don't like doing email interviews. Right. Yeah, it's it's so sterile. One, you never know who's answering that. Yeah. Right? So um, we did it on Skype as a chat. And I said, it's important to me. I can't, one, as I just said, I, I'm feeling my way around on this movie. So it's not like I have five points that I need him to address. I'm trying to have a conversation and just discover things about the movie. So I'm going to ask some things that he can't answer. I'm going to ask some things that surprise him that he can't answer. And then I'm going to ask some things that he expects to answer, right? So I thought um, I have to be able to follow up with him. And email is not going to work. And we have to do this quickly because he was um, not the last interview we did, but getting there. Mm-hmm. And uh, time was running out. And he they said he had the flu, so I'll take them their word that he's not feeling up to it. And we had actually booked the interview a couple of times. And for different reasons, it kept falling out. And then we got down to the wire, and then it was like, oh, he's not feeling well. And I'm like, well, the option is he's not quoted in the story, or we do an interview. (laughs) You know? And they said, well, could you email? And I said, well, no, I need to be able to actually have a conversation with him. And so I said, "Why why don't we do the chat? And then also, I feel more comfortable that it's really him and not, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to accuse them of doing this, but I, I, I just want to make sure it's, it's actually him and not somebody else responding. And so, and I, also having the live replies, it's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot more. There wasn't like an hour in between responses. Yeah. it was like we did the interview. What, what I thought was interesting about it was it took about we talked for like about an hour on Skype, and it that's about how long we would have talked in real life. Uh, so he's a good typist. <laughs> and then when it was done, uh, no need to transcribe because it's all right there. Hey, that is um, that is a good benefit. That is a good benefit. I was um, another thing like it's just sort of these endearing little callbacks to the original trilogy and and such and such with with George Lucas. But I loved the which it's it sort of been mentioned before the the dinner or the lunch with Harrison Ford and Alden. I I. I think that's a sweet little. I don't know. Just like Alden these- was way more quiet about that than he was uh, than the other people were. Ah, he didn't tell me much about his meeting with Harrison Ford because he didn't want. Harrison told him just tell people when they ask you what advice I gave you that I told you everything you need to know and you can't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just I, I I and he honored that he was like I can't tell you what he told me but then Kathy Kennedy said. Oh, yeah, he told him all about, like, his conversations with George and the history of the character, everything he wanted to know about Han Solo going forward. Do do you think Harrison Ford's a lot more invested in Han Solo than he'd like to let on? Uh, Absolutely. Have you you seen this at Star Wars Celebration last year? uh, Where they said, uh, are you excited about watching a Han Solo (laughs) movie? 
with, as a fan, and he's with Anthony, not really. <laughs> Anthony Carvoni, who hosts the Star Wars show, he's on, like, they had that live interview stage in front of, you know, like a thousand people or whatever. He's there with George Lucas and Harrison Ford. Obviously, he's a massive Star Wars fan. Like, he's a professional, but, you know, you're on stage with probably two of the most intimidating people in your mind, in your life, in front of all these people. And it's just <laughs> the coldest moment of just like, are you excited about the Han Solo film? And he he looks shocked at the question. Like, it's like, no! Did he laugh when he said it? Yeah. Did he like, not really? <laughs> it was just the- Or was it like a, not really? Oh, no, he was just amused by the thought that he was looking forward to it sort of thing. Yeah, it was so. it was a magic uh, little bit of live I think, television. I think Harrison Ford looks at his performances like a really fine cabinet. And he worked on this, and he did his best with it, and now it's in your home, and you put all your precious glassware in it, and it's in your dining room, and people remark on it when they come in, and everybody's a fan of this cabinet. And then somebody said, are you looking forward to those people replacing that cabinet with a new one? Right? If you're a betting man, and I know you are, Mm -hmm. the Braves has got a big gambling problem. (laughs) Actually, not a gambler. (laughs) What are your odds that George Lucas and Harrison Ford are at this premiere? Good. Good odds. Which one's more likely? George. Yeah. I hope Harrison goes. Um, I think he will. Yeah. I think he would have no problem going. I think he knows. I, I There's something about in listening to him and he's sort of, he's got that professional like, yeah, I'm going to, like, why wouldn't I, like, it's a night out of my time to respect these people. The other option is maybe they don't want him to go. That is not a sane option. Uh, maybe they feel like, he might feel, this is Alden's term with the character, I'm going to back off and respect it. Would you invite your ex, uh, somebody you were married to for many years, to your wedding? You know, it's you it's, it it's different though. It's it, that is very different. I'll put this up here. I don't yet have a pillow made of these. I love the pillows. These are, um, these are from uh, EW's Comic Con parties. They make with some of their favorite covers. They make uh, little pillows for the uh, for the uh, EW Comic Con party and. Uh, if if I have a story that is lucky enough to make it onto a pillow, I steal the pillow after the event. Oh, I think the Han Solo one is is, is very pillow worthy. Yeah. The um, cuddle up with it. I got to sneak into this party this year so I can steal myself a Bresnikan pillow. I've been dying to collect these for years. Like I, I don't think your analogy of the marriage thing it's is not totally the same. But, but if you don't want Alden to be overshadowed by Harrison Ford, you maybe you just have Alden there. Yeah, but from a publicity standpoint, it's just like. Well, this is a guaranteed photo everywhere, like yes. in Who magazine or People. In, in Australia, it's called Who. You get um, Harrison Ford, Billy D. Williams, Donald Glover, and Alden Ehrenreich mm. together. That would be pretty badass. Yeah, that would be pretty sick. I also love um, that there was the uh, the Donald and Billy D. lunch as well. Mm-hmm. I love, I love these lunches. And I love – someone on Reddit was just walking past mm-hmm. and saw them – Reddit people are everywhere. Oh, you got to watch out for him. You got to watch out for him. Um, but it, it, with in talking to Alden, did anything 
surprise you. Like, you know, he's a guy that there's, there's been a lot of rumors about with the, the acting coach thing. And if that's just a standard procedure, it's the end of the world. The acting coach thing to me, I feel like was misre- misreported by a lot of people. What you have with Phil uh, Lord and Chris Miller are two directors who've done a lot of meta comedies, very ironic, self-referential comedies that aren't necessarily about genuine human performance. If anything, it's the opposite. There's a kind of insincerity to that comedy Mm -hmm. that makes it work. And they've also done a lot of animation. And so one issue with directors who come out of animation, whether it's... um, uh, Brad Bird, or uh, who's the, uh, the the Finding Nemo director uh, who did uh, John Carter? Blanking on his name right now, but it's in the tip of my tongue. Um, you know, people say there's an adjustment to working with performers on a live set as opposed to voice actors in a room where you can call them back 50 times and you can keep adjusting the performance, mm. right? And so the acting coach was brought in more as a way of translating between actor and the two directors what was necessary because they didn't speak the same language that Alden needed to hear and he wasn't picking up on what they were putting down. So this acting coach was like, what if, like, this is the way you express it. This is how we, how we talk about it. So it wasn't so much a, him doing a poor job as an actor as we aren't making a good connection between the, the filmmakers and the star of the movie. So how do, we, how do we bridge that gap? That's something that I've not heard. Yeah. Like that flip I heard of, that from multiple people on both sides of that, that issue. It, that it's more filling in for the director's deficiencies rather than his. I mean, that's... I, you know, Have I just flipped it my, the other way too far? It's not my place to cast blame, but I think we're not getting what we want. I don't understand what you want. All right. How do we, mm. how do we work this way? And you have other actors like uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Donald Glover who are writers themselves and are very good at improvising and coming up with what they think it needs to be. And I think Alden is not a writer or an improviser. So he needs to be fed a little more. What is it you want me to convey? And also he's the main character. So, you know, Woody uh, Harrelson and uh, um, Paul Bettany and uh, 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 Tandy Newton and all these other actors, Amelia Clark, like their, their parts are smaller. This is the, this is the, the keystone of the movie. So we need to get this exactly right. So what I had heard from people who are, uh, on, on multiple sides of this issue uh, was that the acting coach was not brought in to teach him how to act. I don't think he actually needs that. I think what he needed was to know what the directors wanted from him. And I'm not sure that that continued after they left. So maybe Ron Howard was able to uh, speak to him and convey what he wanted. And Alden was able to understand it without so much of a, need for an intermediate. Yeah, because it's a total, which I always found those guys doing it jarring. Like it just didn't, because all the films that they're in, or that they've directed, sorry, they're kind of self-aware that they're films. And the last thing I want from this film is for it to be very self-aware that it's like, 
You shot first. Do you know what I mean? I don't want like too many of those references, if any. I think this movie, the, the stakes are so high on this film that if the lead actor was not able to act as the character, then they would replace him. Mm. They didn't have. A, they replaced the two directors, which is a much bigger lift than replacing the actor, even a, the star of the film. Uh, and we've seen that happen on movies in the past, where they say, "No, this isn't hap- this isn't happening. We were wrong." Mm. Get of course. rid of the actor. M- most famously, Back to the, Back to the Future. Yeah. Uh, so I think that would have happened. They didn't owe Alden Ehrenreich. It's not like oh, he's a major star and going to sell this movie for us. I think he. I. From what I hear. He was fine. He needed he needed to know what the directors wanted. They needed to be able to get from him what they wanted. And there wasn't the time to sit around and figure this out over yeah. a long period. So they brought in an acting coach who was more like, here's what, to almost explain what an actor needs and to him what the directors are talking about. Yeah, and I guess like uh, someone for him, like an advisor, sort of like, how should I... Yeah. You know, to go off in the and corner and stuff. Yeah. That is... Yeah, I hadn't heard that sort of rational, level-headed thing. It was just like, he was a conduit. It's, yeah. you know, everyone else has got this experience. You know, and there'll be people who say, oh, well, you know, he's covering for him. I'm not covering for him. Like, that's... If I had heard from other people that he couldn't act, mm. then okay, that's a problem. But then acting... A coach like that is not there if you can't act. You know what I mean? The acting coach is there if there's if you're not giving exactly what we need, you know. And if you're not giving what we need, it's because you don't understand what we need. So, how do we bridge that divide? Now, I'm a bit disappointed Mm -hmm. that you had to do it via chat. Okay. Because no, I'm not. I'm not disappointed with you, Anthony. You'd never disappoint me, but um, just because I want to, I'm I'm fascinated with just the the study of him, of what it's like. Like it's just the the pressure of like you're in the biggest franchise of all time. You're you're replacing the biggest movie star, one of the biggest movie stars of all time, who also plays one of the most beloved characters of all time in this film that's had the bumpiest production in this franchise's history. Like, I'm I'm fascinated with how Alden is dealing with it. Right. And did you get any insight to that through the the chat? No. Honestly, like, that was... You know, how he's dealing with it. I'm sure he's fine. I mean, I'm sure it's super stressful. That's something I knew I wouldn't be able to dive too deeply into mm-hmm. um, in the cover story. But, I mean, yeah, sure. And I think there'll be time to do that profile of him when the movie comes out. Uh, we'll, you know, but, uh, but I mean, I don't know. I'm sure he's super stressed out when you lose your directors and mm-hmm. uh, there's a huge amount of pressure. But then... and But also replacing Harrison Ford... You know, but that that stuff is stressful, and and do you know what I mean? Like where, yeah, it's more, compound stress. Yeah, sure. but and we're more in the, I don't know, salivating over everything and 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 seeing what people are saying on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. So we're a bit more engaged. Here's where I also think, but but, but like the, like it, it everything's stressful, and then you see what happens after the Last Jedi came out, and it's just like, oh, people get 
this angry about mm. something not going that like you see this mob on the internet and it's like in four months they're going to turn around and look at me sure that's probably tense for sure but um it's also beyond your power mm. i may get hit by this tidal wave <laughs> that tends to wash ashore every so often or I might get destroyed in a car accident. Yeah, but they're, like, they're things that might happen. This thing is, it's coming. Oh yeah. No, no. But I think he's a, watching the tidal wave coming. Yeah. No, it's coming at him. And he's, uh, I think if you make a Star Wars film now, you're going to know anything that's that massively popular, popular is going to have a backlash. Mm. And uh, that's something you kind of live with. The challenge for Alden, I think, is, uh, although he's an up-and-coming actor, he's not as famous as Donald Glover as Amelia Clark as Woody Harrelson even as Phoebe Waller-Bridge that not as many people know her but her face isn't in the movie and people who do know her like adore her from Fleabag now people who know him they know him from Hail Caesar mm -hmm. or maybe Beautiful Creatures um, but otherwise he hasn't been in much that people have seen and people really like him in Hail Caesar. Uh, but he's taking on, as you say, one of the most popular characters of all time, played by one of the most famous faces of all time. And he's not as famous as Donald Glover, right? So people watch that trailer, they see Donald Glover, and they automatically have good feelings about him because they really dig uh, a Childish Gambino or they love his work from Community or Atlanta or uh, Derek Comedy or however they know him. And they know him from like 20 different things. Yeah. And they know all these other actors. Game of Thrones, Woody Harrelson from a lifetime of entertainment. And, but like, and Donald Glover's got like a history of being cool. Yeah. Like everything everybody he does is dope. Everybody already likes you, but then you're the one guy that they don't know and you're playing the most, the character they know the best. Mm. That's tough. So you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt that everybody else gets. You've been to Q&As where a celebrity moderates the Q&A and they do a terrible job. And if it was you or I moderating that Q&A, the audience would revolt. But because it's an actor they like, they just let it slide. They're dropping their cards around. They're not asking cool questions. You're talking about the Last Jedi panel at Celebration, no, aren't you? <laughs> I saw Matt Groening interview Matthew Weiner about Mad Men. Yeah. And everybody loves Matt Groening, like The Simpsons and all that. And people were just so excited to see him. It didn't matter that he literally dropped his cards and then didn't know what he was asking. And like it was like a terrible Q&A. Yeah. No offense, Matt. I'm sure your billions in Simpson dollars will comfort you. But like... But I thought nobody would tolerate this if, oh, yeah. if I was up there yeah. asking questions like this. So um, because I'm not no, I wouldn't be known to them. So uh, I thought I think like if you're well known, you already bring that affection to the movie. And if you're Alden, you're proving yourself. And so yeah, we'll see. We'll see whether he works out. And every time you drop, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, give him a chance and see how it does. And every time you drop the cards on stage and you went dull, mm -hmm. my people wouldn't think the reference was as good. Yeah. When Matt Groening did it, you yep, know exactly. <laughs> all right, let's look at, at some of the the pictures. Let's dive in. Uh, first of all, exclusive first look. Some people call him the Space Cowboy. Yeah, is that a Bresnikan original? Uh, it's sort of done in collaboration with uh, uh, Jeff Lebrecq, who I think I, he came up with that. But I liked it. We also had. Uh, uh, Portrait of a Smuggler as a Young Man, which I also like. But uh, I don't know. I think I think Steve Miller Band 
uh, is a little more fun than a James Joyce reference. Yeah, I and, and the fact that it's next to him in this suede brown jacket. It's similar pose to the picture of Han Solo that they put out when The Force Awakens came out where he's there. You know, yeah, yeah. So we talked about that one. What did you think? We've got this photo of the Falcon. Yeah. I thought the Falcon has been... It's got this new look. Yeah. It's sort of not being exploited. They're sort of just... They're sort of going, the Falcon's in it, but we're not really glamorizing that it's sort of different. Like, they're sort of like, yeah, we'll go on about that a bit later. Well, I think the reason it looks different is one of the revelations of the film. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to say it looks different because... The reason it looks different is going to be part of the story, so they don't want to reveal exactly how. They don't want to say, oh, he crashes into an asteroid, and these are some of the special modifications he has to do, make it forked instead of the tapered edge of the Falcon as we see it in this movie. Or there's a missing piece that's used to push cargo that, you know, everybody who's owned a Star Wars toy knows you miss lose the pieces sometimes. So. <laughs> well, um, the, the, the front forks have always been called the mandibles. Yeah. Which does say it it clicks onto something well mandibles are just pincers on an insect yeah but they so they grab yeah so they're there to click into something sure it does seem like that's where the cargo would go yeah or the- hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They would close on it. You could see this sort of like, I could also imagine that these things just sort of rotate up or that this part comes out and um, extends out and seals up and that maybe he breaks it, you know? So it's sort of like... Yeah. I think I think it's too... Like the way I've seen it in other pictures that haven't come out yet, that it's more of a longer... It's got more of a nose mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, it is longer. But... You've seen those on Making Star Wars. I've I've seen them on the dark internet. <laughs> What's the dark internet? I can't I can't tell you, Anthony. It's, you don't want to know. What are, what are, what are you into? <laughs> <laughs> but what I like about it is, like, I don't think, like, obviously the front bit needs a bit of explanation, but the rest of it, I love that, like, you know, the the Y wings in Rebels, how it sort of shows how they came out factory fresh mm-hmm. with all the panels. And I love seeing the Falcon when it's new and going, ah, oh, it was actually a sweet car. But then over time, they've replaced doors and they're the wrong color and they've lost the hubcap cover and like like all that sort of stuff. I think that's got like a cool thing about it. Of course, one of the main things coming out of your photos is what happened inside? Yeah, something something dark <laughs> something went down in there it's I, I, here's the other part though what if it's strategy so if you ever owned a brand new car yeah and you worry just leaving it places like I remember buying my first car and it was new but it wasn't fancy it was just a Honda Civic but it was perfect condition right 
and I was worried like where I would park it. I didn't want to get dinged or I didn't want somebody to scratch it. And I was very cautious about that. And then you bang it into something or it gets scratched. And once you have that first scratch on it, it's like the pressure is off. <laughs> now it's damaged goods and it's fine. You can just live with that. Right? So I think there's a possibility that the Falcon is sort of like that. You know, is that Lando keeps it in perfect mm. condition and then Han damages it. And then once it's damaged, it's just going to keep getting damaged. But you also don't have to worry about it. So if you're a pirate or a smuggler, you're constantly stealing from people. And what kind of car does not get broken into? Mm-hmm. So the more your your vehicle looks like a hunk of junk, the less you have to worry about somebody breaking in to steal the stereo. Yeah. So that- I wonder if Han, not being vain like Lando, is like, I'll drive this sweet ride, but it's going to look like shit on the exterior. Yeah. No one wants to break into a car that looks like it's already been broken into. Yes. It's, what's the point? What's the point? But it's also like getting pulled over if you're driving a Lamborghini or really like sweet car you're more likely to get pulled over than if you're driving a junker so this might be galactic camouflage here's a theory that it might be a bit on the nose or not depending how close on the, nose, the huh? film ends to a new hope because you know they're saying it's going to cover seven years that the front is the storage where the spice is and then when he like has to jettison it, that's when he loses the front of the nose of the Millennium Falcon. What do you think about that one? That sounds as good a theory as any. Hmm. You can make up a t-shirt. Your Millennium Falcon t-shirt. Your Millennium Falcon theory is, it's, it's okay. It's it, as good as any. <laughs> it's as good as any. Um, so out of, you've, you've got these little um, sidebar here with, Six of the key co-stars. Mm-hmm. Who'd, you, who'd you interview for the the podcast? For the interview? For the magazine? <laughs> who'd you interview for the magazine, Anthony? Kasdans, John and Lawrence, Ron Howard, uh, Amelia Clark, Alden Ehrenreich, Donald Glover, Kathleen Kennedy, and... Yeah, that was it. No Woody Harrelson? No. Did you try for a bit of Woody Harrelson? I would gladly have talked to him, but also... He, I don't like to talk to people unless I could put them in the print story. And uh, I think we had there were like seven people. Yeah. I just name. So if you quote every single one of them, say you, you give them a hundred words each, that's half of the story. In addition to all the exp- explanations, so you just run out of room for a lot of voices in the story. And I hate to do a half hour interview and only quote somebody half a line. Yeah. You know? So uh, with a, you know, with a big cast like this, uh, you know, those I got everybody that I absolutely needed and um, uh, would gladly have talked to Woody and will gladly talk to him once the movie comes out. <laughs> or before. Well, yeah, one, I mean, like time of release. So I have a question for you. I'm going to interrupt. Okay. Because we're sitting on this green couch, does that mean people are going to be able to Photoshop it out and put us on all sorts of interesting... That would be that would be pretty cool. Uh, I would. Can you do that? Can you if we move the pillows? Like, can you can you make it so that the the couch becomes like a moving star field? I don't have that sort of time. I don't have that sort of resources. You might want to talk. You were pretty technical. You advanced. might you might want to talk to your buddy Kathleen Kennedy about such. Uh, Get ILM on this. Help out with the <laughs> can you can you uh, green screen the couch? Do you think Solo is his real name? Oh, please let it be. I, let's just 
they why? said this thing uh it's about how he makes his name yeah I I, I I i really hope that's like a metaphor or something like do you know what i mean how he kathleen kennedy said it to me in her interview i didn't use it in a quote because it started to sound a little bit to me like the like if i feel like it's what is it practical effects real yeah 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 real lizard people real what sets real sets it's practical effects practical effects like yeah <laughs> there were some real lizards <laughs> <laughs> uh so i don't like to use that stuff and she was like it is how he makes his name or how he gets his name and and i was like huh i wonder if she if that's a line you're slipping out there like as a suggestion that maybe that's not his real name yeah i always there's all these because th- we don't know who his parents are maybe he doesn't know Maybe he chooses this name for himself, like a nom de guerre. Yeah, but this is what I wonder. If you say it's not his name, mm-hmm. what does that do? Like, what does it add? Like, you, it, it, to but me, it's... a self-made person, much like Kylo Ren. It just seems like you're taking something away. It's like, hey, this thing that you've known for 40 years, it's a little bit different. Like, I just... Uh, it's, it's, it's clever... For the sake of being clever. Well, you know what John Wayne's real name is. I care. Marion Ravenwood. What? It's not. It's Marion something or other. <laughs> what is John Wayne's real name? Can I'm, we Google that? But that's a stage name. It's different. He's, it's his, John Wayne's real name is Marion. Is it really? Wow. Bresnif- I forget what his last name is. Bresnifax. Bresnifax. But I don't know. Would, obviously. What I'm saying is, yeah, just because you find out somebody's real name is something or other. Uh, doesn't doesn't really like like John Denver. His real name is like John Deutschendorf. Yeah, but they're stage names. Like, what's he gonna go? He goes from now on. I'm by myself. I'm solo. Oh, like no, I don't think you do it. Like no, that. but how do you do it and not make me like want to cry in the cinema for the wrong reasons? I don't know. Make me cry for the right reasons. Let Leia hug Chewie. They're the right reasons to cry in a cinema. It's we've, we, you know Star Wars fandoms we've had a rough couple of months. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that the solo film, Ron Howard's calming influence? Do you know what I mean? I, I find him a a hard target to criticise just with his public persona. He just seems so nice, and it feels like he's been so nice for so long. Do you think? He is the chosen one that will bring balance to the force. I mean, I don't know. I hope the movie's good because I like when the things I write about are actually live up to the the talk and the hype. So uh, I'm rooting for him, but it's up to him, you know? He's made really good movies. He's made some that aren't so good. Uh, so let's hopefully see how this one turns out. Hmm. In in thinking about the Last Jedi, and, and and talking to the creators and stuff, did you get to touch upon at all the reaction to that film? Yeah, I think they, that Ryan was taken aback by some of the harsh criticism. He's also very present on Twitter, which is a bad idea for any Star Wars filmmaker, at least when the movie is coming out. Because anything that you make now that is popular, that is that is that is seen by many people, um, you're dealing with the fact that you can't please everyone for anything, and so you're going to deal with the backlash. 
even films that are universally loved, like Black Panther, has been getting amazing reviews. Uh, there are people who aren't going to like that movie for any number from it for valid reasons and invalid reasons. Mm. And we live in an age now where it's not enough to feel something; you need to persuade others to feel the same as you. And so, in the Star Wars fandom, it's not enough that somebody likes The Last Jedi. They have to convince the people who don't like it, and vice versa. And so you have this uh, tempestuous relationship in the fandom where people are not just feeling the way they feel, but warring with each other over it. And everything is divisive. And I'm sorry, but The Force Awakens dealt with the same thing. Problem. The only difference is that was, you know... um, Three years ago, two thousand fifteen, right? Mm. So, like, uh, you know, uh, coming up on three years ago, and we just live in a different social media age, where you had Twitter and Facebook then, but but now it, those things have been weaponized. <laughs> yeah. So, so everybody every day is waking up, braced for some sort of gladiatorial combat in the social media sphere, and so. If you're fi- you're either fighting over Donald Trump or you're fighting over somebody's use of a word that you don't like in in uh, in a tweet or in a story, or you're fighting over whether you like this TV show or movie, and I think that's just something we're going to have to live with or sort out eventually. Yeah, because I think since the Force Awakens, like with yeah, I think with the political climate in America and how that evolved. On social media, it's it's taught people some I don't know bad lessons about how to discuss things online. Like it's so everybody's on edge, man. Combative and sort of yeah, really like side taking. It's hard to turn that off too when you're shifting gears to talk about other things, you know, um, because you have actual literal Nazis chiming into your conversations and Russian bots. And assholes just constantly fighting with you over issues that are settled matters of morality <laughs> as far as Western culture or culture in general goes. And now we have to defend even basic decency. And it's hard to turn that off when you're shifting gears to talk about movies or music. Yeah. I always, like, I'm not sure if you've heard about this movement, the Resist Disney movement. And it's in regards to Star Wars, like they're, okay. they're so they're they they're denying Disney Star Wars, and anyway, but is this the same as the group that doesn't like the fact that there are women as major characters and black people who are in prominent roles? No, nah. like they don't like the tone of the movies. Yeah, and is the people who ha- who don't want women to have. Uh, major characters in Star Wars or don't want people of color or other ethnicities to have, uh, uh, you know, their own representation in these movies, those people can just buzz off. I couldn't care less what they have to say. And I don't think it even deserves to be debated. Like, those people are irrelevant. Mm. There are other people who exist in this world and they get to see themselves in other worlds too. So, Resist Disney is what? It's not that, though. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've never heard them reference... There are those people out there. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Right. Oh, I, dude, I'm posting videos on YouTube. I know, like it's. And they could just go to hell, like because it's it's crazy the stuff. If you have like, a problem like, with like, a black man being in the movie in a major role, like I, I that's, there's no discussion to be had with you. 
have that opinion and keep it to yourself, pal. The things that people write, like I did this interview with Kathleen Kennedy and the comments I've had to delete, like I, before I deleted, I messaged, I was like, oh, you need help. Like you shouldn't be- Like what? What are the comments? Just vile- Misogyny? Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. you shouldn't be this worked up about a space film that you don't like. And they it, don't like her because they just don't like the tone of the movies or this is more of that women and- I think it's more like- Representation. We don't like something and there's a woman in charge. Oh. So it's- mm. Please don't watch any of her movies, and that will subtract three decades worth of pop culture from your consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> don't watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or Back to the Future. We, what were we just watching? My kids and I put on Batteries Not Included. She's like, I don't know if you remember that movie. Yeah, vaguely. It was like a sweet little like family-friendly movie about like this tenement in New York that has these quirky people who live there, and they don't want it to be developed by this skyscraper builder and uh these strange little aliens land and help them rebuild it and take care of it and unite them and like kathleen kennedy produced that Mm. like the things that she has helped create and shepherd to the screen is unfathomable like she's one of the all-time great movie producers of history and uh if people have a problem with her they can take it outside yeah (laughs) i just don't care you know and 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 that doesn't mean every movie she makes is perfect. Oh. I'm just saying, don't attack her for being a woman or think you can treat her with disrespect. Well, that's wrong. Here's the thing that I've had to bring up to a lot of people on my YouTube comments. It's like, if... Because they'll, they'll, they'll do this like super ironic thing where it's like, now, I'm not a misogynist, but this bitch has to go or something like that. And it's just like, well, you can't say that and then refer to her as bitch because it is a misogynistic term to refer to a lady as that. So you kind of like sometimes sometimes you you have these feelings and you don't want to admit to them. You just think, "Oh no, like my level of misogyny is acceptable." Also, I think that's the uh, somebody who who leads with I'm not a mis- misogynist, but something about what they're about to write strikes <laughs> them as misogynistic and so they're prefacing it by trying to disarm that boss, yeah, you know, and it's like, um, if 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 it's occurring to you that this might be this might sound misogynistic, it might be misogynistic. Uh, if if you were to say if you just didn't like her films or her point of view or the way she runs a studio, you could just say, ah, oh, God, I'm such so tired of her movies, which are so full of. Uh, imaginative whimsy and science fiction <laughs> uh, America doesn't want that or, or whatever but you don't have to preface it by saying misogynistic like that to me is is uh, telegraphing that this person knows he has a problem with women yeah or, or just tailor what you're going to say so no one will imply that yeah don't call her names like that don't call her misogynistic but what I was saying about the resist Disney thing which if if people you know they like the original George Lucas take on Star Wars and all that sort of stuff. I, I think, for one thing, if you're resisting Disney, I don't know what that's going to achieve in the end. Like, they're, they're, they're never going to throw it back. But using the word resist is what I... It's like, it's yeah. this super, that's what needs to be resisted right now. Yeah, well, it's a super... Like, especially at the moment, it's, it's a super loaded word that means so much to so many people. And then you're taking it... You're taking this, like, movement around the world and you're co-opting it because 
you don't like the way the laser swords are getting used in the space film. It's just like, come on, man. Like, yeah. you're using too serious a term because of space film sadness. I, I respond to that type of a movement by not paying any attention to it. I don't, I've, not, I've never heard of Resist Disney. I'm not saying those move, that the movies they make are perfect. If people ha- don't like how they've turned out, that's fine. If you don't like, if you feel they've been disney I don't feel they have, but if you feel that way, that's okay. And you don't have to spend your hard-earned money on them. It's perfectly legitimate to not like something. But I do think that there's just, some people are unreasonable, and I I don't, man, there's only so many hours in the day. I can't worry about it. If you want to be worked up and hot under the collar about something, about a major studio putting out movies that people the world over seem to love, then I guess be mad about that, man. But it's also interesting that you know people that hit up Ryan Johnson and they're so angry and they're so sort of vile. It's like, if that was me, like if I was Ryan Johnson and I read that, it's just like, yeah, you're a horrible person. I'm glad you didn't like the- like, yeah. Why would I want to make something for you to enjoy? Do you know what I mean? It's-, it's- yeah. I just think there's no point in devoting any mental energy to it. People have a valid criticism, you should hear it, you know? But if somebody just wants to punch you in the face, well, you know, they can go to hell. <laughs> Who cares what you want to do then? I, I, you know? I, I've spent a great amount of my life with a large amount of people wanting to punch me in the face. <laughs> it's, it's like, for me, it's my safe place. All right. <laughs> One of the funniest Steel Wars episodes ever is now up on YouTube for you to watch. Episode 158, Ronnie Chang of The Daily Show and Heather Antos of Marvel Comics live in New York. I think it was, I was like four years old and I was living in America with my parents and then I remember the scene where it was cold and then the AT- AT&T walkers walked across... <laughs> And then AT and T, yeah, AT and T, walk, walk, cross, and then the, it was, yeah. it, was, and the, it was product and the, placement. And then the Verizon yeah. fighters Ver- came in. <laughs> the Verizon came in, and then the guy with the orange sleeves, who was Luke, he did the, he spun around the legs, and then the thing fell, and then he cut open some other animal and jumped inside the intestines, and then next thing I know, there's teddy bears on the moon, and that's that's my first Star Wars memory. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And then from ever since then, I've been a huge Star Wars fan. <laughs> Get clicking youtube.com forward slash steel wars. You got this big week of articles coming out yeah. for Han Solo. And then they just drop as an extra little tidbit Game of Thrones coming yeah. in. Thanks, guys. <laughs> like, I was literally shooting the videos that you see uh, accompanying a lot of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle of that, the Game of Thrones news dropped, and I got I, I occasionally I have little birds who will sometimes. Uh, speaking of Game of Thrones, like varies like little birds will whisper to me like something's coming, get at your computer. What is this? Oh, oh this is big. So had to break away and, and drop that out. Uh, and then we were closing the magazine, and uh, we found time to squeeze in just a little mention of it. Uh, I saw the cost that of, at the cost of a little bit of the uh, the movies that inspired Solo, we ended up chopping Treasure Island out of it and squeezing this in. Oh, the the editorial decisions that one has to make. Yeah. So, um, 
What did you make of that? In what sense? Like, I, what I make of it is there's a lot of Star Wars coming. Yeah. Do you... Are you pro it, the Star you know what Wars it reminds coming? Me of? It reminds me of uh, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh-huh. Have you seen that film? No. The Coen Brothers movie? Yeah, I know the one with, no. um, with Coiny, yeah. Yeah, where he's got, I forget, what he has to get like his wedding ring or something or like retrieve something from his old shack. And they finally get back there. And, they're, and the part of the movie is that they're flooding this valley to create a reservoir. Mm-hmm. And they look down and there's like this little trickle of water that's coming. And they realize the flooding has started. And they look up and then there's this uh. <laughs> that comes and just crashes over them and wipes out everything. And everybody's swirling around in this in, in this uh, this cascade of water. And I felt that's what I felt like when I heard the Game of Thrones guys, uh, the DBs as they're known, were uh, were taking on Star Wars. Like, oh, with the Force Awakens, it was like any little we were moisture farming, you know, any little little droplet that we could get was was uh, deeply satisfying and craved by all. And now it's like there's a lot of Star Wars coming, not just the Brian Johnson trilogy, but uh, standalone films and. Uh, another trilogy that the the Game of Thrones guys. Made. So obviously, in the in the pro socket of, of them doing it, you know, they obviously have great experience at you know adapting a mythology to a screen and um, dealing with lots of different characters over a long period of time, um, and and it's something that there's a big crossover. People. A large amount of people that love Game of Thrones love Star Wars and, and vice versa. I'm not a Game of Thrones watcher. My wife is, and I sort of, you know, I'll just sit there and watch a couple of times while I'm, I'm editing or something. I, I find it like, and I know it's the subject matter, but it's quite graphic and sometimes graphic for graphic's sake. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, horrific. there was, you know, some talk of, you know, R-rated Star Wars and, you know, do we need an R-rated Star Wars film separate to this? But when you look at Revenge of the Sith, like they depicted the hero murdering children hmm. and managed to do it in a non-R-rated way. And then when you take in their other project that seems to have been sort of shelve now was the confederate where it's like imagine a world where african americans are still slaves like it just like there's that like there's a thing of like hey they made this good thing we all loved but the other thing is like is their tone is is their ideas of what entertainment I'm, fit in with star wars i'm not a fan of judging things that don't exist yet so you know the complaints about confederate could be legit Mm. Um, and I understand people being concerned about that and voicing those concerns, but I don't think these guys were making a planning on making a show that glamorized the idea of modern slavery. Um, I do think it's there, there important is... to judge things that are in front of you, not yeah. your supposition of what it's like. Just because there are too many really troubling things right now to actually be yeah. fired up about. Obviously, it hasn't been made, so you can't judge it. But yeah. there's that thing of, and I know a lot of people were worried about it, which kind of the thing that sent Dave Chappelle crazy was like, are these people, are some of these people laughing at my show for the wrong reason? Maybe. Do you know what I mean? And, and and it's a concern that 
people would watch this Confederate show, which is an interesting premise, I guess, but maybe they're watching it for the wrong reason. It's escapism. I actually thought there's potential there for um, for very incisive commentary about the state of our world and our country's race relations here in the United States. Because I think... Um, uh, we do have a lot of problems that haven't been fixed, and you could use that as a way of exploring it. You know that there are forms of modern slavery. You know the way we treat uh, immigrant workers, for instance. Mm. Uh, you know, keep them off the books, pay them as little as possible. It's it's a form of slavery. Yeah. So you know, I'm a I, I prefer to judge things that are actually there, and I don't know what their plan was with this. I I, I think yeah, there are obviously some concerns and sensitivities that need to be addressed. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to hold a grudge against them over a show that hasn't been seen or even written yet. Mm. Um, and I don't think they were interested in making something that was pro-slavery, you know. So, and I don't even think they have a writing staff, so you can't say that they wouldn't necessarily have diversified that uh, that writing staff. So, they're just... I'm people have every right and they should speak out when they see something that's wrong, but you, you kind of have to wait uh, to, to see it, to evaluate what's wrong about it. And, or in advance, you can express your concerns or what your, your hopes for it might be. But, but, but I, I can't beat them up too much over uh, decisions that haven't even been made. So, the voice of reason you know, I don't know. I'm sure somebody would think that I'm wrong. In saying that, so, <laughs> I'm interested about this with your knowledge of, of how things work in Hollywood, Anthony. So, they've made this deal to produce these films. Mm-hmm. And when you make a deal, you agree on money. Mm-hmm. And they've said it's a series of films. Do you think they know how many films they want to make or they've made a deal where it's like, okay, so if it works out, just say, like, just say, like, for every film you do, you get, what, like, $10 million or $10. Yeah. Like, like, how is that worked out? Like, it sounds like the way they're explaining to us seems quite vague. It's hard to know the specifics of this, but I will say every contract like this is designed with escape hatches and trap doors in it for both parties. Right. Mm-hmm. So, on one hand, Lucasfilm wants to lock these guys in because they're super talented producers and writers, and these guys want to be locked in to a contract that earns them the maximum amount of pay. Now, if they make something that's hyper popular, and they know they're going to be invited back, it's in their interest to not have a contract <laughs> for two more films mm. or five more films, but to renegotiate. If they're locked into something that's pretty popular and they definitely want to make more of, um, but they could easily make that with somebody else, then you want to be locked in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and Lucasfilm in the same way doesn't want to have to pay out if the first movie bombs and they decide not to move forward with any more. So everybody is constantly evaluating what are their – don't show me the percentages. <laughs> they're saying, <laughs> you know, how much can we lock them in that's acceptable risk to us? How much can we commit that's acceptable risk to us? And – um and that's and then that's the process of months of negotiating. So uh I, I think it's vague right now because 
they're planning to come up with a plan <laughs> and uh and we don't they probably don't know the specifics maybe it's three movies maybe it's an ongoing series where do you think you know we've got the Ryan trilogy we've got the DB series mm-hmm. where does this leave the much rumored and talked about Kenobi film i think very likely to happen mm-hmm. you know because uh right now we're gonna have a big lull what are you gonna talk about for like a year and a half on steel wars the podcast because han solo is gonna come out and they haven't even started shooting episode episode nine yet so many stories anthony right what are we gonna do you and i to make a living for the next year and a half i've got plenty i've got a big are you shifting to another uh, another genre are you gonna do some star trek stuff no, no, no. I've got... Don't worry. I've got a, I've got a list of topics. Don't worry. Go more girls? I, I need more podcasts released rather than subjects. Okay. 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 <laughs> I've got a lot of stuff going on, buddy. Just don't don't worry about that. All Star Wars connected? All Star Wars connected. Okay. All the time. Never stop. Well, you got the... You got the Rebels is wrapping up. That's the thing. Is like, we're not going to get anything for a while. It's going to be a... We're going through the... A, a desert of Jakku slash Tatooine proportions. I like it. I, I want time to, to breathe and, and soak things up and, and so th- go find some obscure stories. So then you're going to have episode nine. And then right then you're going to need a second standalone film. And that's a perfect spot for a Boba Fett movie or an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. And then Ryan will have had time to create his trilogy. And we'll see where it goes from there. These guys aren't getting started for another year, even thinking about what they're going to make or specifically writing it. Bresnik and Cole, Boba Fett in the solo film, in Um, any form. My guess is yes, but that was something I wanted to find out and could could not get definitively from them. I wanted them to say yes. In fact, my selling point was, if Boba Fett's going to come out on a box of cereal in a couple of weeks, why not talk about it now? Which is what they did with Darth Vader in Rogue One, just up front said, I was like, hey, are there going to be any kind of characters we already know in this movie? And Kathleen Kennedy said, yes, Darth Vader. And I was like, oh, damn. Like, <laughs> I've heard of it. You went right to the lead guy. Mm. And I thought for sure they would be like, maybe, you know, maybe there'd be, maybe there'd be some heavy breathing in the yeah. film when that trailer comes out. And I thought, oh, I'll use that as my illusion that Darth Vader may be in this. That, that'd be if you were the person that writes the Lucasfilm press releases. <laughs> and then we were able- They love the last line, just like, and here's a pop culture reference, guys. <laughs> Wink. We were able to put Darth Vader in this movie on the cover, which generated considerable controversy with a certain Australian <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> felt that that was an underwhelming presentation. It was! It. <laughs> too low, too so low. So maybe they're like, they learned a lesson. They're like, we upset uh, we upset Steel Saunders, so now we've got to hold back on revealing Boba Fett and put him in the in the next trailer. That is good corporate policy. What do you think about this picture of Paul Bettany and uh, Ron Howard, where in the background there seems to be a lampshade-type shadow that looks like Boba Fett? I, I don't think that's coincidence. I... Normally, would be up for mocking said theorizing. Yeah, but it looks pretty bummer. <laughs> Even the little antennas. Yeah, and it's just disguised enough that they could be like, "What? Nah." Yeah, I. That's I, your imagination, or is it? 
Yeah, I don't know if my f- Ben Hart from the Star Wars Underworld, I'm not sure if he was the first person that found that, but he he brought my attention to it. And I, at first, was like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that, that is- a lot like it. It's, and it's quite a coincidence. Like, so, but you've got to think if they were going to do that Boba Fett film, like in the original, you know, the Trank thing, that it was going to lead on somehow. Have you ever heard, because you were the one that, you sort of knew more about it than a lot of other people. Did you ever get a gist of when that film was going to be set? Oh, the Boba Fett one? Yeah. Uh, I th- thing I had heard was in and around the era of A New Hope. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. One of the characters that we know nothing about mm. is this helmeted dude that's like the obviously the uh you know the the it looks a the, little primitive actually. The the main bad guy in this film that we know of, that we know of so far. Now I've heard some interesting speculation which I, I, I think Did you hear it right before this podcast. No, 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 couch? no, no, not your speculation. I've heard some interesting speculation that um, some people think it's going to be Boba Fett, and that in the end it's like he goes and puts his other helmet on, which I think is um, it's a little bit it's a bit EU for my liking in in the bad parts of the EU. But you, but you've been sitting on your own little theory, yeah. Let's, let's have a new segment called Bresnikin's Theories. Hmm. Well, I, I was just looking at that helmet and trying to figure out who this guy is, and that's somebody that nobody wanted to explain. We're not. I'm like, are they a tribe? Are they a rival gang? No, no, no. Wouldn't say who they are. And uh, we're going to get a name for that character soon. We're going to... Uh, but I don't know that, that we're going to get... Um, an explanation of that character, right? A name isn't isn't necessarily going to reveal motivation or background or history. And then, of course, as well, you can go, well, that's not their real name. Yeah, maybe. But I think sort of nested in this mystery is uh, who's behind that helmet, right? And I don't know that it necessarily has to be anybody recognizable, but it could be somebody with ties to Han Solo. So what we know is he's an orphan. He's been on the street for uh, all of these years since he was 10 years old. Is he a runaway? Was he abandoned? So all of these questions that we ask about Ray, who's Ray? How did Ray get there? I think can be applied to Han Solo. And the fact that um, Lawrence Kasdan originally signed on to write Solo, a standalone Han Solo movie before The Force Awakens, and then was pulled into The Force Awakens help bring that project to fruition means that there is foreshadowing in the force awakens where han remember when he he's like well maybe we need a first mate you know are you around are you interested in a job on the millennium falcon like i think han is remembering history that the character never had before but that lawrence kazan and john kazan are building into solo which is he he too was on his own a kid with uh savvy and street smarts but who is uh, unloved and unwanted. And so he has a connection to her. So how did Han Solo get that way? And the question I have is, who are Han Solo's parents? Could that character be his father or his mother? It's quite a coincidence, though, that it they 
their paths meet again. Is it? I guess I haven't seen the film, so what I can't if, say. What if uh, he's been... Do you know anybody in your life who has a parent who's a terrible parent? Somebody they've avoided their whole lives once they were able to mm-hmm. get away. And uh, that parent keeps coming around, trying to force themselves into that person's life. I think this is a pretty common story. Okay. Not so common that everybody has it, but we all know somebody who has like the terrible drunk dad who abused him and now they just prefer to keep them at arm's length but they keep trying to insinuate themselves into that person's life I don't know this is not based on any inside information I do know the name of the character but I can't reveal that just yet um, but I'm looking at the mask and I'm trying to, to glean something from it right and all I can think is looks a little bit like Boba Fett's mask looks a lot like Kylo Ren's mask, especially the the eyes, the visor. Something about that really calls out to me as reminiscent of Kylo Ren. And we know Kylo Ren came up with his mask and helmet uh, as a tribute to his grandfather, Darth Vader. What if he's also working in a tribute to his other grandfather? Just a theory. Hmm. What if that character is Han Solo's father or or mother. Yeah, I, I th- when you bring in the Kylo Ren thing, that's when I go, well, how would he know about student that? History. Yeah, I I don't mind the initial bit. I think once you bring Kylo Ren, then you're getting a little too much. Something that does add validity to your theory about the foreshadowing in The Force Awakens for the Han Solo film is those gold dice. Yeah, there's that. Also, but wait, before we move on from this topic of the masked figure, I don't want Reddit to take this and be like, here's Bresnikan's theory on this is Han Solo's father. I'm not pushing this. I'm spitballing. But like in Star Wars fan culture, your Snoke theory, as you know, is like a thing. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of uh, currency. What is your theory about so and so, yeah, what yeah, is yeah. Theory about this, and I'm not using this. I'm not pushing this as my insight. I'm just saying I'm trying to figure out who this guy is, and I'm seeing a little parallel to uh, to um, Kylo Ren. And what if that character is connected in some way to Han Solo's past, or is just some gang leader that had him in the gang for a while when he was, you know, looking for a place to take him in and was an orphan on the streets, sort of like a. Uh, great expectations kind of thing. Now, listen, I've got some bad news for you, Anthony. I need views on this YouTube channel, right? I'm, I'm posting up that clip, and the thumbnail is going to be like, Anthony Bresnikan reveals Han Solo's <laughs> dark family pass. Exclusive. Giant yellow letters. <laughs> we will know the name of that character soon. Okay. Um, it's not Boba Fett. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> it's, Bob, it's just like his name's Boba Fett. Um, but yeah, the the thing that gives validity to your concept that the Force Awakens foreshadowed is the gold dice, which I think it's in retrospect quite a travesty that 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 like you know the deleted scene in the Force Awakens where Han hangs the dice back up in the Millennium Falcon. Like, it's sort of 
I don't know. It's just like such a sad thing that that's not in the actual film. Yeah. That it can tie into The Last Jedi. Because obviously, Ryan Johnson read the script, read the script with the scene with the dice in and went, hey, we can keep these dice going into The Last Jedi. Then it's like it's in. It's a major part of the script. The dice scene gets taken out of The Force Awakens. And it's like, uh, but then it ties back into Han Solo. So you know, there could be there, there could be something to that. There could be some some hints in Solo in The Force Awakens. Maybe interesting. Well, Anthony, it is always a joy, a pleasure, and a privilege to come to the the Brez Cave. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nest. <laughs> the Brez nest. <laughs> and um and talk Star Wars. You, you lightly sizzled this is on nest. You lightly sizzled this before, but the EW articles on Solo, they're not they're not ending anytime soon. The, the, you got you got some you got some reveals coming. Uh I just have one more. But it's a little bit spoilery, so I'm not sure I want to put that one out just yet. So, you know, I've always got to gauge what I think reveals too much about the story or what the story should reveal itself. And, you know, just because I think something's interesting doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be put out there. And maybe people have enough, you know. So maybe it's something I'll save for a little closer to release. But I'm actually, uh, I have a, a couple of pieces about some of the other tie-ins to the movie. You know, there's a whole world of uh, um, other storytelling that takes place in and around each one of the releases of these movies. So I got maybe something on that up my sleeve. Excellent. And and the name of Han Solo's dad or mom is going to be revealed. You want me to reveal it right here? <laughs> Just part of it. I'll tell you what, I will reveal. When you listen back, you'll be like, okay, we okay. have this. Chester. Chester Solo. <laughs> I think you're playing fair with me, Anthony. <laughs> what if, if if you were gonna name Han Solo's dad, what would you name him? <sighs> Han Solo's dad. Zaven. I would name him Steel. <laughs> I like that. Steel Solo. I like that a lot. That's either Han Solo's dad or a porn star. <laughs> <laughs> or a character on Melrose Place. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me in your Brez Cave. The good people of the internet can follow your musings on at Bresnikan. Any any other things that we should be looking out for? I feel like the one thing the world needs is maybe another Star Wars podcast. <laughs> Let's get a jump in. <laughs> See a crowded market and say, me too. Don't, don't I, I, it always annoys me. I love podcasting. I adore it. I love the medium. It does annoy me when people try to climb down the show business ladder to hang out with us. <laughs> is, that what you would, is that what you would consider it? Yeah, it's just like you're trying to climb down to podcasting and it's like, no, I'm trying to climb up the ladder. Go, go back up. Anthony, I'm following you. Ooh, it's going down here with a podcast. Don't, don't, don't come down to my level. Do you think one of the greatest travesties in Star Wars fandom will be if we don't get like a scale electric style version of that train? 
I want to play with that train. I want it to go around in a circle. I want it to flip around. That'd be cool. It'd be so cool. That'd be tough. That'd be tough to pull off. But like you know, I'm sure the folks, the good people of Hasbro, could come up with something. Hey man, if they can make BB-8 roll around, mm-hmm. they can make a train that flips around. That's my deal. That'd be cool. Thanks so much, Anthony, and may that force be with you. Right back at you. (laughs) Hey, you guys. I hope you enjoyed that really fun episode and informative with the Brez. Anthony Bresnikan in the Brez Cave. Um, Nothing but always a delight to be talking Star Wars or anything with uh, my mate Anthony Bresnikan. Make sure you follow him at Bresnikan and and let him know that you appreciate him taking hours out of his proper professional EW job to uh, talk Star Wars with us. It's, um, yeah, it's super good of him. So, yeah, if you're on Twitter, give him a little tweet. Thank the Brez. Praise be to Brez. Let's have a Bresnikan Appreciation Day whenever you hear this, you guys. And uh, also, as mentioned at the top of the podcast, there's a video version of this, which sort of covers the first 50 or minutes or so of the podcast. We had a few battery issues. I've got to get an extra battery for this filming stuff for you guys. But um, we're, we're trying to get as much audio stuff up on YouTube as well so you guys can watch it. Because apparently watching two people on a couch talk about Star Wars is thrilling. <laughs> I watch people do that stuff as well, so that's fine. If you haven't already and you know, you're more into the news-based episodes, I tell you, it is such a compelling Star Wars story. Episode 160, the episode before this one, with the Suck Lord, who's a toy customizer, bootlegger, pop artist. He's many things to many people, but he has got such a fascinating story throughout the history of Star Wars to tell. And um, it's a pretty unique conversation on a Star Wars podcast, but is heavily Star Wars E. So, you guys should check that out. It's up on uh, iTunes, SteelWars.com, wherever you get podcasts from. Episode 160 with the Suck Lord. And it's had such a great response. I'm just worried that people might say, oh, the Suck Lord toys. I'm not going to check that one out. Whatever. But um, trust me, it is good. Don't forget, if you want to support the podcast in any way, retweeting or a five-star review on iTunes or a, a post on Facebook, if you're in a uh, Star Wars like Facebook group or just on your page, anything that, that might get one extra person to check out the podcast is golden. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you've only got 10 followers on Twitter, one of those followers, I'm happy to have them listen, all right? And it really like helps us out with the promotion and, and makes all the the hours of editing and all that sort of good stuff like worthwhile when, when you guys are helping out as well. So I really appreciate that if you can pod it forward. Uh, of course, we've got the live shows that you heard about at the start of the uh, episode. Melbourne over the Easter weekend. Uh, LA, we've got 10th of March for a Rebels finale 
panel at Scum and Villainy Saturday afternoon, and then the solo uh, reaction panel that'll be on Saturday the 26th of May. And tickets for both those shows are going. And I dare say they might be hard to get tickets for as we get closer because um, the last show was sold out, which was awesome. The uh, the one month of The Last Jedi, which there is a bunch of video clips of that on YouTube now. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Steel Wars, along with the, the Ronnie Chang one and a bunch of stuff. You can you can see me talking with Kathleen Kennedy and Daisy Ridley and Ryan Johnson, John Boyega, Kelly Marie Tran. Just me and them chatting, talking about Star Wars. So check that out on YouTube. You can, of course, get t-shirts and stickers at SteelWars.com if you want a Your Snoke Theory Sucked or an Arm with Snoke t-shirt or the Force t-shirt. All that good stuff is up there. And if you want to hear every bit of content we have ever made, along with regular bonus shows exclusively for Patreon supporters with Jason Ward of uh, MakingStarWars.net and Robbo from The Call-In Show and uh, regular Q&As and we've got movie commentaries. What I'm trying to say is check out our Patreon because you get a ton of bonus content direct to your podcast app of choice from just $3 a month. It is a pretty sweet deal. I keep your podcast app loaded with content and um, you get the warm glow of helping us out. So uh, check that out. Thank you guys so much. And may that force be with you. If you're like me and you want to check out as many quality voices in Star Wars fandom as possible, check out the Making Star Wars podcast network at makingstarwars.net. Not only is makingstarwars.net the home, for the hottest news and rumors in the Star Wars universe, but they have also got a top-shelf podcast network. Now, this is podcasting, Rebel Girl, The Cantina Cast, Blue Harvest, The Rogue One, a podcast for winners, The Sith List, Podcast 2187, Tarkin's Top Shelf, The Idiot's Array, all available on iTunes or makingstarwars.net. Just hit the Podcast Network button. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.